Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM. throttle olympic mode we got mlb string spring training pitchers and catchers reporting new look calves nick Foles possibly on the trading block got a lot of stuff going on e um so why don't you start us off let's talk a little olympics i know this is a very good time of the year just get to sit back at the end of the night and instead of watching um shark tank been watching the olympics for a while the past past couple days yeah, for me, the Olympics are really exciting, so especially the Winter Olympics, because I think it's the only it's the only set of sports where I feel like, hey, I can actually go out and still do a little bit of I still snowboard a little bit in my free time. Obviously not at the level of like a Sean White or a Chloe Kim, but it's it's great to see everybody playing in the snow and earning some medals. But getting to the point, one, congratulations to Chloe Kim winning her first Olympic gold medal. Super impressive, especially after her recent X Games performance where she fell and had to come back to win her X Games gold. So Chloe Kim clearly going to be a rising star moving forward yeah, she, in terms she of was awesome. X sports. 17 years old, and I think one of the coolest things is that her parents are South Korean. So not only is she winning the gold medal like for America, but doing it, you know, in a country where her parents were born and she's, you know, got some South Korean in her. The Olympics are in Pyeongchang, like very awesome. I mean, she really she really dominated that run. I think it must have been on Monday or Tuesday of this past week, but really cool to see. And the thing I love about the Olympics is all these like snow sports that I I really would never watch. Like, I'm not talking about hockey because I don't watch that anyways. But look at the cross country skiing. <laughs> yes, that was talking hockey and the sporting edge. You look at the cross country skiing. I watch a little figure skating. You get the skeleton ski jump, snowboard, speed skate, the luge. All these, the all these different, teams. yeah, all these different sorts of things that are really fun to watch because I just never would watch them, and I still have a little bit of a dream not to be like an Olympic level skier, but I'd like to go a little fast down the hill, and I'm a little scared right now to do that. But saw these guys, I forgot what event it was, some sort of skiing event. Guys going like 65, 70 miles an hour down this mountain, and I, I was just, I was scared, and I was sitting down in my chair, but still thinking about it made me made me shiver a little bit i mean i tremble on the slopes when i'm going down on a snowboard if i get to a certain speed i mean i have trust in my ability to stop but at a certain speed you, you start going so fast you start to shake a little yeah. bit and it, these, these the guys were essentially like on a highway 
um, on yeah. skis. And it's, it's icy just a, highway. Yeah. Weird thought. Um, Chloe Kim, big performance and 17 years old. I mean, could be the start of, you know, a three or four Olympic run for her. It doesn't look like she's slowing down. Sean White won the men's half pipe on what was also earning the America their hundredth gold medal or yeah, their hundredth maybe no, maybe it's just medal ever in the Winter Olympics. I'm probably it's actually it's wrong. It is gold medal. It's his hundredth American gold medal won by Sean White. I think it's in fitting fashion as I think he's one of the best winter sports athletes of all time for our country, which sparks I think a conversation real quickly that I saw Wilbon and Kornheiser have. Xander, you don't have much of a take on it. I don't well, know. How do you know? I haven't given you my it. take yet. Well, maybe not. So the idea is that Sean White, through the many medals he won, and I'm really now like locking in on Chloe Kim and Michaela Schifrin, who was supposed to go for five gold medals this year, but only has the opportunity to go for four. The idea is that their medal counts don't reach up to Michael Phelps, but where do we determine whether who the best athlete is for the United States, who the face of our country would be in terms of Olympic sports? Is it going to be someone like Michael Phelps, who, yes, 21 gold medals is incredible, but the opportunity for him to get those medals is just plenty. There's the fly relay, butter, or breaststroke relay, front stroke relay. There's all these relays that you can be a part of and doesn't necessarily have to win on his own with the team. He also gets so many more event opportunities, and that – Wilbon was bringing up the point of comparing Phelps to Usain Bolt, but you can also compare him to these winter athletes like Chloe Kim, who was exceptional in snowboarding, but could only maybe end up with three or four gold medals in her career. But why wouldn't she be considered one of the best athletes of all time? And I know you can break it down by each individual sports, but I put the Olympics as a whole. I know there's a bunch of different events in it, but you have your country when you walk in on opening ceremony you have the face of your countries carrying the flag you have the faces being highlighted walking through i think it's important to realize who the best olympians are as a group and where could chloe kim compare to somebody like michael phelps i know it's early for her but maybe you can do a sean white michael phelps comparison well i mean the thing for me is that michael phelps probably gets more notoriety because just the fact that he won so many gold medals it just kind of keeps ringing in people's minds but for me, it doesn't change the fact at all that I think you got to compare people relative to the sport that they're in. Um, and I, I think Sean White is every bit of the athlete that Michael Phelps is relative to his sport. Um, but, you know, the, the gold medals, I, I just I remember watching Michael Phelps. It was like every night he was winning a gold medal. And I know you said other people don't have that same opportunity, but I mean, that that's just that's just kind of how it shakes out. It doesn't make me think any differently of an athlete in a different sport. Um, relative, you know, how good they are relative to the rest of their competition. But I mean, the fact that, you know, more gold medals, more coverage, just more excitement around it, you know, that I think that's a real thing. But like I said, Sean White, like I put him in the same echelon as, you know, Usain Bolt and Michael Phelps. I think they're basically the best at their particular sport. Um, and that's my take on it. I think it's, it's, I think it's pretty cut and dry that way. Okay, that's fair. So maybe this question you won't be able to answer, but I'm asking you and you can say you don't have an answer. We can move on from it. I can say whatever I want. Yeah, fair. Whatever. You have kids one day and they ask, Dad, who is the greatest Olympian of your generation, winter and summer? Greatest Olympian. What is your answer? Greatest Olympian. Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I'd probably have to go with Michael Phelps. Um. (laughs) More, more, not and that's, only... that's just where the argument is, right? Like that answer was just perfect to the argument. I mean, because why could well, you say Usain Bolt, who I, I could have did it with fewer medals, but 
I could have said, but and I dominated I just, his sport. I think well, Michael Phelps dominated his sport as well. Yeah, but even in his time, he was losing. Usain Bolt didn't lose. Okay, I mean, you asked you asked me my opinion, and I gave it to you. Now you're telling me that I'm I wrong. Just, but I mean, I don't think you're wrong. I just think it's just the argument that that's what I was looking for. I wanted to hear that you did think Michael Phelps was it because that's going what I was saying about the opportunities and how medals we as the United States view medals as this high power when there's really the medals can be saturated at times. Yeah. Well, I mean, now we're, this is a, a fault of the system, not really of the of the athlete. I mean, there's nothing I can do about it, but I do remember that particular race where Michael Phelps won by one one hundredth of a second. I mean, that was probably the most exciting moment of any Olympics I've ever seen. I can't say the same thing about Usain Bolt. Like I know he broke the hundred meter record. I think it was back like eight years ago, but, um, I, for me, the the best Olympian of all time is Michael Phelps just because of what he did. And maybe it, maybe it does have something to do with the gold medals, but I, as, as a human being, as a, as a consumer of content, like I can't, I just can't change the fact of, um, of how I saw it and how I felt and how it seemed like he was kind of, you know, I don't want to say revolutionizing, but kind of took America by storm with his performances. Um, but I mean, I know he won a bunch of relays and won a bunch of goals that way, but his individual performances, I think were, were on par. And the fact that he was so good at so many different things also, are some of the reasons I think he's the greatest Olympian that I've ever seen. But I'm also a little more, you know, I was a little more into swimming. Um, And we'll be right back. We're going to talk a little more swimming, a little more Michael Phelps, and a little more Winter Olympics. If you miss a show, you know where to find us, LibertyTalk.fm, and we will be back after the Hello and welcome back to the Sporting Edge. Roz, we were talking Olympics, we were talking gold medals, who's the best, who's not. Let, let's let's talk a little more Olympics. Enough with this Absolutely. argument. And we'll just give it a quick rundown of where the Olympics are right now. United States having five gold medals, four of them coming from snowboarding itself. So not super diverse this year. We do have a silver medal in luge. We have a bronze medal in both snowboarding and figure skating. And our other gold actually comes from alpine skiing. And that's where Michaela Schifrin comes in. She won the gold medal again on her route to hopefully four gold medals in the time in Pyongyang. Um, also, in interesting point, Chris Chris Madster in the men, in the men's luge um, came in second place, got the silver medal. But he's also he's the first non-European athlete to win an Olympic medal in that event. Um, he competed in the 2010 and 2014 Winter Olympics, but came up with the silver this time, and I think that's pretty cool. Luge is, is a very interesting sport to watch. Yeah, and right now we're on the same kind of pace we were in 2014. In 2014, we only finished with six gold medals, so we're already at five. So hopefully with Michaela Schifrin, she can pick it up and beat that total. I feel the Winter Olympics create more of a diversity. I mean, we see the Summer Olympics, and we're assuming the United States is going to take home almost every gold. I mean, they've dominated the last three or four Olympics in terms of gold medals. And right now, that's really not the case in the Winter Olympics. I mean— if you look at the all-time rankings, the United States isn't in num- or isn't in the first place. Norway actually has the most medals all-time. Eh, that doesn't really surprise me. I mean, the Winter Olympics, a lot of snow-based sports. I mean, I know we got hockey, we got skating, a couple other ones, but I mean, a lot of it is, you know, skiing, boarding, um, stuff like that. And I, you know what, can't can't be dominant in everything. You know, got to give got to give up a little edge every once in a while somewhere, but. 
more more than just like the medal count whatever i just kind of like watching the olympics i like watching everybody perform because it you see these people work for so long and they've worked so hard and to see them perform on this big of a stage, like, um, obviously I want us to win as many medals as we can, but it, it's cool seeing each individual individual person, um, go out there and give it their all. And, and you've got these tight kind of tight races that you go through. I mean, especially with Sean white and the half pipe, him winning on the last run, stuff like that is what really gets me going. Um, it's, it's just cool watching people compete like on the biggest stage. And, and, and these are, these are, you know, sports that you know it's not it's not major league baseball like people aren't watching it um as closely nba nfl like these are things that happen every couple of years that this is where everybody's watching i think that's the best part about it um sports that you don't really get to see that much but i mean the fact that it's competition and it's a little different it's uh it's really cool watching the olympics I agree, and I think it's great that it's every four years, and I wish there was more of a way to kind of keep track of every what's going years, on uh, leading up to the Olympics. Well, I guess it's every two years if you count the winter and summer and everything, but I'm talking about for the Winter Olympics every four, obviously, same for the summer. But besides the point, when I watch these Olympics, is there not a sport that like kind of jumps out to you, Xander, that you want to try? I mean, the one I'm thinking of is a little bit bizarre. I mean, I love snowboarding and do that in my own time, but like, is there a sport you watch during the Olympics and you're like, huh? I wish I, at one point in my life I could have tried that. Um, I would. I mean, obviously, I think everybody wants to curl at least one time before that, they die. That is my answer. <laughs> um, that's obvious, I think. But I kind of thought skeleton looked pretty cool. I don't know if I have the nuts to go and uh, to run on the icy track and then sit there with my face first on, on that um, on that entire thing. But that looks pretty cool. I mean, skeleton and luge, those are those are pretty cool to me. I mean, I'd like to ski leisurely. Could definitely not could do it at the at even close to the kind of pace that I've seen on TV, but I kind of like to get on a snowboard, maybe do a little a little mini pipe. Um don't oh, think man. I could definitely not do those 1080s um that Sean White was throwing out there. But I kind of like to try them all like that. I I wish I could rent out like Pyeongchang for a week after the Olympics were over and just just kind of have have fun on the whole thing and just do a little bit of my own thing bring a couple she friends you really wanted the experience i do i mean i think i think it'd be my, sick i'm just thinking more about curling like you mentioned i really and there are curling clubs in the united states we don't win medals for curling but there it there are curling clubs and i absolutely want to try one i mean let's think about the xander we do bowling already and if we added curling to an adult, because it's not very taxing on your body, and it's another kind of skill-based you know? sport. Never tried it. I don't know. I just I, I mean, you could be the sweeper. They the there could be some bicep tears, maybe tricep tears. That that's just what I think about in terms of injury risk. But that's like know, a great sport to use the shake weight. Get those arms pumping. Oh yeah, I mean, shake weight should be the number one sponsor for curling. <laughs> But yeah, no, that is definitely the sport I would love to try most. And I, I'm still looking for, there is actually a curling club in Northbrook, Illinois, just fun fact and free promotion for them. So everyone should go check that out and start to build on what could be the next United States Olympic curling team. Wow. That that would be awesome. I would like to try also a little fun fact, um, Lincolnshire, Illinois, which is a town right next to uh, Deerfield is getting a top golf. Didn't know if you knew that Roz, but Pretty exciting yes. news right off of uh, 94. There's been a lot of uproar in the in the town hall meetings about what this could do to the the quiet 
tight-knit community within Lincolnshire. Um, but I'm more on the side of I would love a Top Golf like two minutes from my house. I would absolutely love it. And I'm going to use that as a great segue into golf because Tiger Woods, we need to have that conversation anyways. And I feel like that might have been where it was going. He just played in a threesome with Justin Thomas, Rory McIlroy, and himself. Pretty impressive threesome right there. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any t- Tiger? He was plus one after today, and he's looking to make his for the first time since I think 2012. He's looking to make back-to-back cuts for the first time, so could be very impressive. Yeah, you know, Tiger was. I mean, you can't really see my face on radio, but it was like, yeah, it was okay, um, not bad. I mean, I'm glad that he's back. Um, you know, one over 72 first round of the Genesis open, um, Thursday. So obviously when we're filming, that was today, um, started hot with a birdie on the first hole of the day, but got, got pretty crazy on, got pretty crazy after that. Um, he was okay. He off eight the fairways, team. seven greens. He, yeah. That was better than his last week's performance. I mean, he's improving. And for somebody who I thought was a little bit optimistic about tiger, you're, you're seeming pretty eh, right now. Because I'm just like, because I was so optimistic before, I'm I'm kind of trying to settle into the that Tiger's back, and then I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna be like all hot and bothered about a plus one. I'm just not. Gonna I'm not. Be. I'm not so hot and bothered about the plus one. It's the idea that he could start comfortably making cuts. That way, it but takes I mean, the pressure look off at his of him round, on Saturday and Sundays. Four doubles, two bogeys, eight birdies, an eagle, and three pars. Like. It's a, pre- it's a pretty nutty round. <laughs> it's pretty all over the board type of round right there. Yeah, but I mean the, the thing that I, that I still love about Tiger is like he can still grind out a round. Like you, you can still see like the competitive spirit that I think kind of separated him and separated a guy like Michael Jordan from the rest of the field is that like he has that he has a mental game I think like nobody else does and maybe his, his body hasn't really um, shown him much love over the past 10 years or so but i mean if the guy could just stay healthy for a while and get something going i mean he that put puts the fear of god into little guys like justin thomas i think it's interesting i think what holds me back from saying i'm never gonna say tiger's back i mean until he wins a major and proves me absolutely wrong we've had this argument over and over again on this show i don't believe tiger's gonna win another major i think it's only harder now and i mean that could be kind of a shot to the golf he was playing before he got hurt and before the whole sex scandal and everything. But the competition right now, it just looks like it's going to be tough for him to catch. The young crowd has been fantastic. Justin Thomas was player of the year last year. Jordan Spieth, we know his credentials. Rory McIlroy supposed to be the golfer of the present, but he's had his own struggles. I can only assume that he'll bounce back faster than Tiger Wood. I just think it's an interesting time period for Tiger to try to make a comeback, and I think it's going to be very difficult for him. Um, but I'm excited. I'm excited to see if he can, like you said, he does have that competitive spirit, and maybe that does drive him. And we know Phil's still going at it, so Tiger's definitely got years left to try to prove me wrong. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, if, if Phil can do it, I think Tiger can still do it. But we'll see. I mean, there, there's only so many more knee surgeries, back surgeries, and whatever the hell's going on with Tiger. Um, he's only got so many of those left. But in the meantime, that's all the time we have left for the Sporting Edge, everybody. If you miss a show, you know where to find us, libertytalk.fm, amfm247.com. We got spring training. We got college basketball. We got March Madness coming up. A lot of stuff going on, and we will tell you all about it after the break. 
What's up, everybody? Bubba here. It's finally here. The long-awaited Bubba Report, bringing you news from all the trading floors across the globe. We've got Scott Lady, the cow guy, as seen on CNBC, Fox, and Bloomberg. We've got Keith Bliss, CNBC, Fox, and a floor trader at the New York Stock Exchange. We've got The Badger, who writes the hot topics and the political news. We've got myself putting together my own unique indexes that will help you give you a better idea of what's going on in the market. All you need to do to get a hold of the Bubba Report is go to the Bubbashow.org and sign up for the newsletter, or you can email me direct at Bubba at the Bubbashow.org. We want you to have this report because we've got over 150 years of experience talking about markets, getting ready for the trading, and puts you in the best position to have successful. So email me at Bubba at the Bubbashow.org to get a copy of your report or go right to the website, the Bubbashow.org. Make sure you get it. It's a must-have for every investor and trader. The Bubble Report. What's up? What's up, everybody? This is the Sporting Edge, and uh, we're at the start of a horse race here. Roz is, is kicking to get out of the gate. Three weeks since I let him talk about college basketball, so I'm just I'm just gonna let Roz rant right now. Tell me what you got: bracketology, rankings, players, just verbal diarrhea of college basketball right now. Verbal diarrhea it is. Virginia, the top spot, and remaining in the top spot after a loss to the Virginia Tech, which was their first ACC loss of the year. This is the common Virginia. Let me just tell you that right now. I don't know how many times you pick Virginia to go far in your bracket. It's always going to let you down. Virginia proves to have this fantastic, powerful defensive structure, Yet, and they hold the top five spot going into March Madness. They can never close. I mean, if they run into a Duke team again in the postseason, I know Duke's defense has been a lot of question, which we'll bring up in a little bit. But Virginia, not a confident number one ranked team in the country right now, at least for me. They're probably confident as all hell, but they're not. I'm not confident with them. Michigan State, a little more pretty, holding the number two spot right now. They got a huge win against Purdue. I mean, let me tell you, Purdue, number three in the country, Michigan State, number four. That's the one of the best Big Ten matchups I believe we've had in a long time. They're 24-3 and three on the year. Very exciting. They got a kind of easy matchup at Northwestern, so all of my uh, friends back home should definitely go check in on the number two, Michigan State. They pounded Minnesota, a team that I thought that was going to have a good season, but clearly didn't. Then you got Villanova with a surprise recent struggle. I mean, St. John's shocking the world, taking out Duke, who was in the top five, and then taking out Villanova, who was the number one overall, or the number one ranked team in the country. Villanova slides to three with another loss last night, or on Wednesday, I apologize, to Providence. It was on the road. They lost 76-71. Villanova just going through mid or near end of the season struggles. They'll definitely find their way in the conference tournament and bounce back. I think Villanova is one of those just lethal, deadly teams that have been together. The camaraderie is going to be super important when it comes to March Madness, and that's one of those number one overall teams you got to get worried about, minus the fact that in the most recent bracketology, they had Villanova, Michigan State, Duke, all in the same side of the bracket, which to me seems to be absolutely ridiculous. But closing out the four and five of the top five, as I just wanted to cover that real quick, is Xavier and Cincinnati. So the city of Cincinnati having two of the top five teams in the country right now. Cincinnati absolutely on a tear. They're 23-2 and two this year, while Xavier's 23-3. and three. It's very exciting when we get that matchup. I think hopefully we will get that Xavier-Cincinnati matchup. It'll be very interesting. I think the Battle of Cincinnati is something we all want to see, and they're both playing at the top of their game right now. Yeah, wow. Um, I can honestly say I've, I've watched about one half of college basketball this year, so I got to brush up on my information a little bit. But I do agree with you on Virginia. 
always a team that is near the top, but I just don't have much confidence picking them in my bracket. Um, just taking a look at the ESPN power rankings right now, you got Villanova still up there um, at number two, and I, I know they dropped a game last week, but Jalen Brunson making a run, I think, possibly for player of the year, and pretty cool. He went to, went to high school at Stevenson, which is basically right next to us. It's um, a stone throw away. It is a stone throw away. And with the you know the recent struggles of Trey Young, I mean, I think there's something to be said for Jalen Brunson's consistency, and definitely it, there might be an opening for a player of the year spot. Michigan State, scary team. Really like them a lot more when they're a seven or eight seed because that's the most fun to pick them in the Final Four. Um, you know, you look at Xavier. Haven't haven't watched him play for a minute this year, but you know, on on a th- on a three game win on the last three games they've had. Looking at the AP top twenty five. Cincinnati, kind of surprising. Um, a team I actually, I actually like a lot. Purdue. They're a gritty team. Uh, I was sure. talking about Purdue, but <laughs> uh, I, I thought you were talking about Cincinnati. No, I, uh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Purdue. Always seem to kind of be ha- hanging around, but I think, I think this is a year. They're 12 and two, Big Ten play, um, 23 and four overall. I think they're a team that that could make a big run, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to do a little more bracketology by myself and get this thing working because it's been a while since I won a bracket sophomore year of high school. Um, you know, looking back, that's about eight years now. I haven't done so well as of late. So I think I'm going to need to study up a little more, but you know, well, we'll, I'll get, I'll get a little more into it as, as we get closer, but I've, I've still got about a month till selection Sunday. And, and like I said, right now, Joe Lenardi has Purdue vanilla, Villanova. I almost said, Villa, I don't even know where I was going to go. Vanilla Nova. Xavier and Virginia, all the number one with not a lot of respect for Michigan State. Keeping Michigan State at the three line currently and Michigan State's number two in the country. You must be seeing a big fall off. Now, what's interesting this year, which is odd, when you think about basketball powerhouses and conferences, you obviously have the ACC up there. You usually would put the big or it used to be the big East, but you might have the big 10 there now. But looking at the way Lenardi has it right now, the SEC the number one football conference to me in the world is number two in basketball right now with eight teams currently in and a scary Missouri team that's going to get their star freshman back before the end of the season. I think the SEC is going to try to make some noise with a lot of the teams actually surprisingly high up in the rankings currently. I mean, we've got Auburn at 10, Clemson at 11. The SEC really is proving to be a a conference that I didn't expect to be very good. I mean, Kentucky actually is – a team that's being threatened to make the tournament right now. I think Calipari in his tenure, I don't think he's going to miss an opportunity to make the NCAA tournament, but we'll see what all pans out. The last four in currently is an, another interesting thing. It's UCLA, USC, Texas, and NC State. Let's talk about UCLA and USC real quick because the Pac-12, again, just never really able to come together. They beat on each other, and I just don't think they have the presence of mind to compete against these other conferences. I mean, Arizona looks great with Dayton Atkins. I didn't even say his name right, or whatever his name. Their star freshman over in Arizona has been fantastic. I think Arizona is definitely the most threatening team in that conference. Arizona State, once conference play started, has just been awful. 19-6, and six, they're about 7-5 and five right now in conference play. I know that's still about 500 or standing or record, but still they just haven't been the Arizona State that they were before conference play. And with UCLA and USC barely hanging in their last four in, probably would have to both play in a play-in game. USC, not um, not unsure of that as they played in a couple of play-in games before. The Pac-12 just doesn't excite me. 
in college basketball right now. I do think the Big Ten, although only four teams in currently at ACC with nine, I think those are the two conferences still to focus on because I think that's where the national champion is still going to come from. Okay, fair enough. Um, what's a dark horse team that you're looking out for in the tournament? Is there any any team you think that might be in within that you know six to twelve seed range that you think could make a run possibly? Lots of talks on Missouri. Missouri is winning their SEC matchups right now. They do, like I said, they're going to get their start freshman back, Michael Porter Jr. And I think that's going to add a tremendous value. I mean, Kyrie Irving, when he came back for Duke, he definitely brought this new, exciting exuberance to the court, and it was great. It was good to see them play together and really kind of dominate for the short time before they were eliminated. Missouri right now slated to be a seven, and that would put them against number two, which right now Lenardi has them going against Duke. Duke, with the style that they've been playing, Bagley, absolutely a fantastic player, but they give up points, and Missouri's going to go out there and score. So I think that's a tough matchup for Duke. You get Missouri, who would then have to go up against Michigan State or Florida. Florida, again, part of that SEC that I think is shaky. Michigan State, I think, ultimately would win that matchup. But Missouri gives a game. I think Missouri goes on a bit of a secret run, in a sense. Obviously, it's pending on the return of their freshman but Missouri is my team right now. Texas A&M is a team I love, but they've just been getting handled. Too many suspensions, too many injuries. That's a team that I'm, I'm backing off of, just like I did with Baylor at the end of last year. Okay. And um, thoughts on a team like Gonzaga? Finds himself in the top 10 right now, 23-4. and four. Um, Do they make another run like they did last year, or do they get are they an early out? Gonzaga... Again, I've never been keen on them. I've never really, in any bracket pool, I'm never the first one to pick them. St. Mary's really the only competition they get during the course of the year, and right now they have St. Mary's at a six. Gonzaga, I'm having some trouble finding on this big board. They're actually at a four. I don't like that. At the four, I think that makes it really enticing to kind of pick the 13-4 upset. They do have an easy slate to Joe Lenardi right now. They play a team like UCLA or Rhode Island. Rhode Island really going to be the only team representing the Atlantic 10 as the Dayton Flyers have just fallen off the board. So not a whole lot of conversation about them. Gonzaga, to me, again, is just going to be an early out. That's just how I feel about that team. I know they proved me wrong a little bit last year. They just don't have the same core that they did to make their run. Fair enough, fair enough. And uh, if you had to pick a champion today, who would it be? My champion today is Michigan State. That's mm. right now Michigan State. They, Like I said, they have Duke and Michigan State, unfortunately, in the same part of the bracket. Two of my t- top teams that I feel comfortable picking right now. But I think Michigan State's going to come out of that. I mean, literally, they would have to go through the gauntlet. If the, everything started today, it is Nova Michigan State and Duke all in the same bracket and that's going to be one heck of a gauntlet but I think Michigan State comes out and wins it all fair enough fair enough I also like Michigan State um and we're going to keep breaking this bracket down every week I know Joe Lenardi's got his stuff out right now but things are things are bound to be shaken up things are bound to change um we will keep you updated and then when we finally get to that magical week in sports it'll it'll be a sight to see I know Roz and I are going to be Skyping all day, watching games. I might have to go to work for a little bit, but in the meantime, that's all the time we have here for the Sporting Edge, everybody. If you miss a show, libertytalk.fm, amfm247.com. Download the show, watch it, listen to it. Instagram, Facebook, we've got it all. All you need to do is get a couple clicks, get a couple downloads for the bros, and we will catch you after the break.
What's up, what's up, everybody? We are back at the Sporting Edge, and finally, pitchers and catchers report. MLB season is around the corner. A lot of great stuff happening right now. It's so hard to get through the month of February, but we did have a little little savior with the Olympics. But otherwise, February is probably the darkest month of the year. But Roz, got pitchers and catchers reporting. Um, Shohei Otani of the Angels looks pretty good working out first don't know if he's going to be a pitcher or a hitter or both yet but a lot of exciting things going on around the league Mets have a new manager and Mickey Callaway and I I might have to take the Mets again to win the World Series because if this pitching staff if this pitching staff stays healthy I think you could definitely put them up there and the fact that they were so bad last year I I, I might just have to take them again because if this is the year they do it and I don't take them I'm gonna I'm never gonna forgive myself it just sounds like you're going to become a Mets fan because it sounds like you're on the ride waiting for them to win their first World Series. But that is, it is what it is. Um, pitchers and catchers, like you said, I heard early out of Angels camp that Otani is going to be more pitcher focused. So I don't know how many at bats they're going to toss him in the AL. It's a little more difficult, but we'll see what happens there. So, Xander, in other big signing news, I have to bite my tongue. I have to rewind everything I've said about this previous pitcher. And I now have to become a fan because of the recent signing of you, Darvish, to the Chicago Cubs. <laughs> yep, you got to bite your tongue. And I kind of have to bite my tongue a little bit as well. Um, I'm glad that the Cubs got you, Darvish. I think he makes them a better baseball team. But I can't get the taste of the 2017 World Series out of my mouth and how he, how atrocious he looked. I mean, it's hard to even, it's hard to even use that word for completing three total innings and two starts. Um, and, I, and I feel like that that's just going to be in the back of my mind the entire year because th- this kind of Cubs team, like playoffs, if you know they lose in the first round, that, that is not a good season. You know, I, I would expect at least the NLCS. Like, if nothing else, that's where I kind of draw the, the even line on the season is if they get there. And from what I saw last year from you, Darvish, it was, it was not pretty when the lights were, were shining the brightest on him. No, and – his main goal right now is not super focused on the on the postseason, but wants to get back and beat the Dodgers. That's his first goal, being a Chicago Cub. And like you said, the Cubs, I think, are a team that you expect to be in the World Series right now. The young core, the young talent, they really need to be able to make it. And I think the decision was clearly made. They went younger with you, Darvish, and they're moving on from Jake Arrieta. Jake Arrieta's going to have to go find his $200 million somewhere else. But this Cubs team... I think I have all the faith in the world that they can continue to be successful the, the, the way they were, but it's going to start and end with their starting pitching rotation and the relief pitching. The hitting, I think, will come and be there. Schwarber, very much in shape. I think we're going to get a better season out of him. And like I said, that lineup, if they just keep playing the way they've been playing the last couple of years, it'll be fine. It'll really rest on the pitching at a certain point. Yeah, I mean, I think essentially it always does, like, you know, teams can you can have as good of a hitting lineup as you want but if you don't have at least two great starting pitchers um you find yourself in a little bit of a hole and i think that's that's where the cubs i mean the, the signing of you darvish you've got john lester you've got jose quintana um kyle hendricks and also the signing of tyler chatwood i mean that this this cubs team I, I think has another very good chance of, of getting back to the big series i mean i you look at the indians i think they've for me i think they're still the favorite out of the AL, but a team like the Red Sox, who I think are coming for blood this year when nobody's talking about them. You've got the Astros. Um, you've got the Yankees, 
who kind of who I've said before they they pulled the Cubs and they're like two years ahead of schedule. They're another scary team. Um, so th- there's going to be a lot of competition out there. But you know, a, a team that I've kind of been looking at a little bit. Where do the Detroit Tigers go from here? I mean, for so long they had all the big names: Miguel Cabrera, Victor Martinez, um, J.D. Martinez, and they never really got anything done. But you know, maybe when you know people don't think they're going to be as good, they still have Michael Fulmer, who I think is one of the best young pitchers in the league. And maybe, maybe Miguel Cabrera kind of gets it back up for one more year and, and maybe leads this Tigers team to an upset in the AL Central, and maybe they make a little run. I mean. I, I kind of have Tigers fever right now. I don't know why, but I got a, I got a decent feeling about them this year. They're they're a team to look out for on, on Wits's calendar. See, I think you just have the fever for the wrong teams. The Mets and Tigers. If you want to pin that as your World Series, go ahead, man. No, I don't not even the think World either Series. Either of them clear the top three in their division. So, um, Tigers. They don't excite me. They're old. They're run down. I don't care who you say on their roster that you think will make the impact. Miguel Cabrera as a batter can't lead that team anywhere else. The, t- the reason why I think the AL is about to get shook is this article ESPN just put out about the New York Yankees and the potential of what their lineup will look like at the end of the 2018 season. Yes, I'm saying this year. With reports that Boone is going to be very aggressive, there's talks that there could be a trade that shifts their outfield then brings in Bryce Harper right before the trade deadline, as well as Manny Machado due to the prospect overload they have and the current starting pieces that they'd be able to give away. And apparently they're allowed to trade away A-Rod supervising rights. I didn't even know that was a thing. I guess you can trade coaches, so that's besides the point. But they're showing me an October 1st projected lineup for the Yankees. And Xander, this is a lineup that it's looks an exactly lineup. like an all-star lineup. What is? Are you gonna you gonna leave me hanging like that? Or well, I was I was waiting to see. Oh, what is it, Roz? Well, here's what it is: Judge, leadoff batter; Harper, batting second; Stanton, batting third; Bird, fourth; Machado, fifth; Gregorius, sixth; Sanchez, seventh; Gardner, eighth; and then the supposed and favorite to win the Rookie of the Year, Torres, batting ninth. I mean, that's go, and that's a scary lineup right there. I mean. We're coming close to the end here, so I want to get our way too early. Since the pitchers and batters reported, we're going to get our way pitchers too early world. Not pitcher, pitchers and catchers, my bad, reported. We're going to get our way too early World Series <laughs> picks. Mine are in at the Chicago Cubs, third year in a row. So keep that going. First, the New York Yankees. It is about to happen. The Chicago-New York rematch. It is going to go down. Which, throw me your picks. Oh, my God. I said I wasn't going to do it, but... I'm going to do it. I'm going with the New York Mets again behind Matt Harvey, Noah Syndergaard, Steven Matz, and Jacob deGrom. I think they have a legitimate shot to get there. You know, whether, whether they do, I mean, they had a legitimate shot last year, but we all saw how that worked out. But I'm going to stick with them. I'm going to stick with the Mets. And in the AL, I'm going to go with the Indians. Major, major letdown last year versus the Yankees in that series. Um, they got they got straight out beat by CC Sabathia. Don't think it's going to happen this year. Astros, I think, are going to be competitive all year, but I, I just don't think they're going to repeat. And another team I'm looking out for is the Red Sox. Um, this is another playoff team that is hungry, very hungry. But I like the Indians. I do think they're the most complete team on the AL side of things. So uh, Mets, Indians, um, and Matt Harvey. I think he finally figures it back out. Ugh. <laughs> this is like Tiger Woods circa 2009. You're hanging on to this way too long. Harvey was done the instant he started complaining about 
pitching counts and pitching time. Yeah, it kind of seems like that's that's the way the league's going. A um, lot, lot of checking numbers, but not not a lot of not a lot of winning games. Um, we got talks from Rob Manfred about finding more ways to speed up the game. Um, they might test them out this year. They might test them out in 2019. Um, I just want to see some baseball. That's that's really all I want to see. Um, so, any any other opening thoughts into the year? Or are we uh, kind of leaving it at that World Series predictions, and we'll we'll kind of give you a little a little piece each week. I to me, the opening thoughts are: I think baseball is back and booming. I mean, we had the steroid it's era bigger, that led to a bit ever. of a drought. I think it's back booming, and the talent is absolutely absolutely exceptional. Yeah, I would agree with you. One one player I'm really excited to see in New York is Giancarlo Stanton because he he might repeat and hit another 60 bombs this year, um, and we'll see what happens. I mean, AL East, it, the baseball baseball is always more fun. I think when the AL East is good, and you know, Cubbies, Nationals. I think I think we're set up for some rematches in the NL playoff cycle, but. In the meantime, we are done here for the Sporting Edge this week, everybody. Stay tuned for more updates next week. We, uh, we're we going to keep filling in with some MLB. Bracketology is heating up. Obviously, we got we got the Olympics still going on for another week. And we didn't even talk about the NBA today and the new look LeBron Cavs. But we will get to that next week. If you miss and the, the show, Lakerless Lonzos. And the, yes, the Lakerless Lonzos. Um, that's what they're called today. But... We'll see you next week, everybody. Thanks for tuning in, um, and have a great rest of your week. Peace. Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM.